This is Epicenter, episode 178 with guest Gilles Fedak. This episode of Epicenter is brought to you by Jax. Jax is the user-friendly wallet that works across all your devices and handles both Bitcoin and Ether. Go to jax.io and embrace the future of cryptocurrency wallets. And by the Ledger Nano S, the hardware wallet which sets the new standard in security and usability. Get it today at ledgerwallet.com and use the offer code EPICENTER to get 10% off your order. Hi, welcome to Epicenter, the show which talks about the technologies, projects, and startups driving decentralization and the global blockchain revolution. My name is Sebastian Couture. And I'm Meher Roy. In the last episode, we interviewed TrueBit. And this episode is also focused on uh, distributed computing, the idea of blockchains and distributed computing. And we are focusing this episode on a project called IXEC. So with us as guest is Shil Fedak, who is the co-founder of... Um, who's the founder of IXEC and he is he is a permanent research scientist at INRIA which is the which is a French public body for research in computer science. Gilles, welcome to the show and we are glad to have you here. Thank you. So before we start, tell us a bit about your background, what have you been doing over at INRIA? So yeah, I'm a researcher at uh, INRIA. My research uh, background is on uh, parallel and distributed computing. And more specifically, my research topic, this is really, really where I'm um, uh, doing a lot of effort, it's on a desktop grid, what we call desktop grid, which is basically the idea of using a very large number of uh, machines on the internet, uh, typically desktop, it could be also data centers, to execute very large parallel applications. Uh, so I've been doing this since uh, the 2000s. Uh, I wrote, I developed many um, software in this uh, area, uh, also algorithms, uh, and I addressed all, not all, but many of the challenges, the research challenges uh, around this uh, research topic. So everything around data management, scheduling, fault tolerance, uh, resilience, uh, research certification, interoperability with uh, existing e-science infrastructure, standardization, how to establish actual infrastructure based on this paradigm, uh, application of this paradigm, this computing paradigm, to other forms of uh, distributed computing, such as cloud computing, uh, and so forth, quality of service. So, and so what, what is distributed computing used for? I mean, I think a lot of people have heard about distributed computing. It's a term that you know sort of gets thrown around, I think, now in this age of cloud and you know, cloud computing and all this stuff. Well, what, what, what is this used for in, in, in what industry sectors, you know, for what purposes? So uh, distributed computing is really a broad term and uh, you know, it's a kind of very large family. And in this family, you have different uh, category, if you want, depending on the infrastructure. So for instance, cluster computing, this is when you have like a data centers with many machines that are very homogeneous, usually, and you know, are very well connected. And the further you go, the further you can have infrastructure that are, you know, more loosely connected. So it goes, for instance, from cluster computing to grid computing. So grid computing, it's a network of clusters, typically. Then to cloud computing, and to, at the very end, it's desktop grid computing or volunteer computing, it's the same idea. But here you have an infrastructure which is very uh, loosely connected, and, and, and then um, uh, the nodes can join, uh, leave and join the network at any time. So the characteristics are very different. So for each one of these infrastructure, you must find the correct algorithm and the correct software that gives you the maximum performance and the maximum usability. And this is why, you know, there are some differences between the one and the other. And we don't build the software the same way for one or the other infrastructure. And and why why is this an interesting uh, research topic for you? Why did you wh what brought you into this space of distributed computing? 
So that's an excellent question. <laughs> so if you want, it sounds a little bit uh, exotic. And when we started this 15 years ago, it was a little bit exotic. At that time, if you, uh, for the, I'm, a, I'm a little bit old, but at that time, 15 years ago, even doing computing on a PC, it was something crazy. People were using Unix workstation. It was super expensive. It was really the beginning of Linux. And at that time, when you, you know, in the lab, when you were saying, okay, I'm going to use a PC to do, um, you know, uh, uh, instead of a Unix workstation, people were looking at you like, oops. And if you were saying, I'm going to use a lot of PC instead of a supercomputer, people were thinking that you were just uh, stupid. <laughs> Not yet. It was basically this. And in fact, that was very important because at that time we were looking, you know, because we wanted to do this computing over the internet, uh, that was the notion of a large scale. You know, we were designing systems for an infrastructure of thousands of nodes, hundreds of thousands of nodes. And, and was, there, time, was there a cost, sorry, was there like a, a cost uh, parameter in there as well? Like, was it, was it cheaper to use distributed computing than yeah, absolutely, uh, renting mainframe? Yeah, absolutely, because we, you don't have to buy the machine. That was the main motivation. You don't have to buy the machine. You don't have to buy the machine. You don't have to buy the, the, the electricity. You don't have to maintain the machine. And you don't have to upgrade the machine. And for doing computation where you have a huge number of tasks, this is very interesting. And from a research perspective, what was very interesting, in fact, is that because we are addressing large-scale system, we were able to emphasize, to raise some issue well before they happen in traditional supercomputer. So for instance, at that time, fault tolerance, it wasn't an issue at all for supercomputing because those supercomputing, they had like tens of nodes. Now the largest supercomputer, they have like 10 million nodes. So failure is a normal event, just like the internet. And so that as a researcher, it enabled me to address, you know, challenges that became totally mainstream, but well before. And for instance, technically speaking, the kind of algorithm we had for desktop grid computing, this is very similar to the way, for instance, we are designing now like Hadoop. And Hadoop, it works very similarly to, to a desktop grid system because because Google designed Hadoop uh, in such a way that it can cope with uh, an infrastructure where the faults are a normal event. So what kind of desktop grid computing systems have you personally worked on and what did these systems do? Yeah, so the, my PhD thesis, I proposed um, a software called Xtreme Web. Uh, Xtreme Web, this is the idea of building a peer-to-peer -peer network for uh, uh, doing uh, computing. So at that time, I was a young student. I was very influenced by uh, Napster. And uh, I was downloading MP3s from other people. And I had a lot of my you know, student mates. We were doing a lot of simulations. And they were always you know, asking for CPU time, CPU time. And so my idea was, that, well, why don't we build a sort of Napster, but for CPUs? And that was basically the, the idea of, uh, of Xtreme Web. So after that, you know, this is a, a project that you know, allowed me to, I use that as a sort of a research platform, you know, to investigate different way of doing uh, computation. And after that, I did a lot of things around uh, um, quality of service, for instance, I developed uh, Speculos, I developed Bidu. Bidu is a very interesting piece of software in the sense that it allows you to do uh, effective data management for this kind of infrastructure. And this is something difficult. Uh, you, you must find new paradigm to do this. You know, because locality is important. Uh, you don't know the machines you are going to work with. That's something really important. You know, when you have a cluster, you know the set of machines that 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 you are working with. So you can keep track of things. Here on a, on such a, a kind of network, machine can pop up, they can leave. And so the way you're going to do the data management is very important. There are the issues with locality. You don't want to move the data unnecessarily, this kind of things. You want to minimize um, data movement. And then we did MapReduce over the internet. We were the first one to do that. Uh, many, many different. And one of the most important results that we did during this period was that we participated to several European projects that were aiming at establishing a real infrastructure based on this paradigm and usable by regular scientists. You know? And so what we did is that we were, um, it was something like four different projects uh, EU project, FP7 project. Uh, so we were at least nine partners from uh, everywhere in Europe. 
and we glue to together several of these infrastructure uh, uh, and we bridge them to the regular ESI, European e-science infrastructure. So at the end, that was quite interesting because for a regular scientist, you know, he could launch his jobs on the grid, so we call that a grid computing, uh, on the European grid. At the end, the end, it could end up being processed by your desktop PCs on the internet. And this totally transparently with the same level of uh, security, traceability, accountability that is required by the, the European uh, grid uh, infrastructure. You can't do things without you know, being authorized to do that uh, uh, and so forth. So here I learned a lot because it was really a practical thing. You know? We really established a, a real infrastructure. This was very, very important in, my, uh, in, my, um, in this work. I would not do iExec without this experience. Never. <laughs> when I listen to this, I'm kind of struck by how it seems that there are these desktop grid computing infrastructures for various kinds of research, right? Like, so there's this European machine that, then there's, I think some, this BOINC that also has some kind of uh, grid computing with volunteers producing computing power. So I think in, in various kinds of research, you do have like distributed grid computing, but this has, hasn't really percolated down to the mass market where like a normal developer when he when he's building a, a web application is, is using that kind of computing infrastructure. Why why do you think this technology as such hasn't jumped from from a research use case to a wide commercial everybody's using use case like scenario? Yes, because in fact it's very effective, uh, but for a specific for I would say for very specific application. So typically you mentioned uh, Boink. You know, the, so Boink, it's the middleware on which uh, many projects of this kind are built, like SETI at home, folding at home, and this kind of thing. And typically, Boink, there is a, I think there is a kind of misunderstanding about Boink. It's a very good, it's, a, it's an excellent uh, software, and there's no problem about that. But it's effective for only one kind of application. It's the applications that are, so first, embarrassingly parallel, very few I.O., no communication, all the tasks should be independent, but there should be a huge number of tasks, really a huge number of tasks. And typically, SETI at home, it's this kind of application. So you have the radio telescope, and it streams data, and all those data are being processed, but it exists for years now, like, I don't know, 15 years, something like this, okay? So for this kind of application, yes, it's super effective, but most of the time, people don't have application of this kind. If you are, I don't know, you are an engineer, and you're working on drug design, and you have to, you know, do a simulation for your your medicine or something like this. Usually, you want your result, your know, today, tomorrow, by the end of the week. But you don't want to recruit people on a forum, uh, launch your application, and have the result like one year later. Okay, so that's the reason why it has not been so so effective. And actually, we wrote paper about that. You know, that compare the cost of doing a computation on the cloud and paying for the resources or doing a computation on the internet and not pay for the resource, but pay for people setting up the, 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 the infrastructure. And what happens is that you really have a threshold, and the threshold is quite high, actually, before being, you know, uh, affordable to go. Okay, that, that's pretty clear. So the, the use cases then are just not mass market use cases or even industrial use cases. They're very specific, very targeted use cases. So you need uh, um, a large amount of inputs, or sorry, a small amount of inputs, but a lot of parallel uh, threads happening at the same time. Is that exactly is that right? exactly? Okay, and tell us about I, I, uh, you mentioned in your I think it was your DevCon talk. You you talked about this thing fog and edge computing, which I think takes distributed computing to the mobile phone network. Is that right? So yeah, that's a very important evolution that is going to to come. It basically comes from the fact that we know already that you know, the, the cloud computing as it exists now is becoming a bottleneck for many applications. And in the future, it's going to be really a bottleneck. Uh, you know, in the future, we're going to have more and more data generated by more and more devices that are really distributed. So think about, you know, for instance, the cars uh, doing video and you want to do deep learning on this video because, you know, there, you can do some security based on that, you know, automotive car and this kind of thing. So the more you're going to have those data generated in a very distributed fashion, and the more the centralized cloud as it exists now is going to be a bottleneck. 
And so what people are thinking of is to kind of, you know, move a part of the processing that happens now on the cloud along the network, you know, up to, the, up to, the, to, to, to those devices. So fog and edge, okay, I, um, I'm always a little bit confused between uh, what is fog and what is edge, but that's ba basically this idea. So some, for instance, are relying on the broadband network that is, you know, operated by the telco provider. So Deutsche Telekom, AT&T, Orange, etc. And for them, for instance, we did a, a study, of our colleagues of me did a, a study a couple of months ago that compared the cost of having a cloud, you know, centralized and the cost of operating this cloud, uh, you know, in a hybrid way, centralized and also distributed along the network. And that's, that's really a cost saver. It costs, it's really cheaper to have, you know, to distribute your cost. At the moment, what, what people often don't know is that at the moment the costs are a lot for electricity uh, and data and network and not necessarily you know CPU CPU time that's very important so the more you can decrease this the the, the, the lower your TCO is going to be I see so with with centralized computing what you're saying is we're, we're not paying for necessarily CPU time but what's more expensive in, in any type of computing is the, is the data storage the network, uh, exactly. the network uh, bandwidth, and and the um, and the electricity to run the machines. Exactly. Cool and uh, there are also some some uh, competition. I mean, it's also a shift in you know in it could be a shift in who is making the money. So at the moment, for instance, in France, uh, just to take uh, an example, but I guess it's similar with uh, other countries. Telco providers don't make so much money with respect to what's going in the you know in the tube. <laughs> so for instance, there was. Uh, in France, there was um, uh, an argument between one of our internet provider called Free.fr and, and Google with YouTube. And they were not super happy to kind of give the bandwidth for free to YouTube, you know, to Google. And I at some point, there was. Yeah, you remember I that. Remember, I remember because every time I want to go on YouTube, it would be super slow when I was <laughs> <Exactly>. using free. <laughs> exactly. And so uh, with this shift, you know, with this shift and having the data center along the network, it means that the money, you know, it, go, it, it could be Google paying to have access to this infrastructure at some point. So, you know, there could be, there could be huge, you know, industry fight below this, uh, I mean, under the, under the, the, the this shift of paradigm between centralized and decentralized cloud, because it's not going to be the same operator. And okay. at the moment, fog and edge, it's pushed by Huawei, it's pushed by Cisco. Uh, it's not the same guys doing that. So future will tell. Let's take a short break to talk about JAX. JAX is your wallet, your complete user interface to cover all your blockchain needs. I've been using it and I've been loving it. Now, JAX supports a lot of different cryptocurrencies. It supports Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, Ethereum Classic, Zcash, Rep, and they're adding many more, keep responding to users' needs. Now, with JAX, the nice thing is that you can manage all of those coins within a single wallet and you are in control of your own private keys. They're not on their server. And there's a single 12-word seed that you can use to back up your wallet and all your coins and sync them across different devices. Talking about devices, they're on pretty much any device that you can think of. You can get it on PC, Mac, Linux. You can get it on smartphones like Android and Apple and iPhone. You can get it on tablets or even, there are even browser extensions for Chrome and Firefox. And on top of that, in JAX, you can actually exchange different cryptocurrencies for each other because they've integrated a shapeshift. And more partnerships and integrations are coming down the line in 2017 that are going to make JAX even better. So JAX is really making blockchain and cryptocurrencies accessible for the masses, easy to use for the masses. Make sure to get your own JAX wallet at JAX.io or you can get it from any of the app stores you are using. We'd like to thank Jax for their support of Epicenter. I think we got a pretty good understanding now of you know the distributed computing ecosystem, you know where that came from, and uh, and and what it's used for, and the use cases there. Uh, and it it seems like it's a, it's a very well established uh, form of computing today, uh, as far as as far as you you've explained it. So now, take us next to the next step. You know, what does blockchain technology bring to distributed computing? that we didn't have before and maybe lead us into iExec and, and how iExec is addressing you know, specific pain points or specific problems uh, that we see today with distributed computing. Yeah, so that's a very important point. 
So the, the, the blockchain, I think, is changing everything. I mean, I've been a long observer for all these kind of systems. I went through all of them. But blockchain, it, it changes a lot of things. It changes a lot of things because now you can decentralize the business. You can automate the payment. You can have, you know, very close interaction between several business. And the more I discover about this, you know, the more ideas I, I have. Before that, doing like a, a, a decentralized market network, that was just impossible. I know you can do that, and it's not so difficult to do. Honestly, the, the, there are some challenges, but it's not that big. And so what we, have, what we did so far with uh, iExec is kind of merge, you know, those two technologies together, uh, blockchain and distributed computing. T tell us what iExec is seeking to do. What's the big vision? So the goal of iExec is really to decentralize cloud computing. So what we want to do is to establish a market network. And in this market network, managed by the blockchain, okay? So it's, I mean, we are not managing the, 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 the market network. It will run autonomously on the blockchain. In this market network, you're going to have providers for servers, for applications, for data. So typically, you know, in a nutshell, it's like uh, servers, like infrastructure as a service, Data is like data as a service and applications like software as a service, you know, as it exists. So we call that a cloud because, you know, that's, you know, that's what people know at the moment. But of course, going to be totally different because it's going to be much more decentralized. It's going to be much more, uh, yes, undistributed, I mean, in terms of infrastructure and, and much more open and with security, transparency, resiliency, all, you know, this, this blockchain, it, it really changes the way you design uh, distributed application and there are really a lot of new notions and new concepts that are still not there in distributed computing for instance the idea of consensus it's not something that really exists in this in cloud computing for instance typically in cloud computing you have SLAs so you give a kind of probabilistic guarantee that your your your, your contract is going to be met but it's not 100% you know it's uh, yeah it's, it's an SLA uh, you give, you know, some numbers for availability. So here there are some, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't claim that all of the concepts coming from blockchain are going to be adopted massively by all, you know, every software and distributed computing, but there are going to be some synergies between the two, this is for sure. So there are a couple of other um, projects that are trying to somehow merge distributed computing and the blockchain and Two of them are Golem and Truebit, right? And from the outside, their problem statement seems similar to yours. But can you tell us what's the difference between these three projects and what is unique about iExec? So what is unique to iExec compared with the two other, it's really the fact that we come from, uh, we come with a background in, in cloud and distributed computing. Okay, so we know, we know a certain number of things, we know how to do them. And we also, I think it's even more important, we know that there are uh, some specific things that we don't really want to do. <laughs> we know the limit, if you want. Huh? And that's really important. And uh, what is really important is that when dealing with such a kind of infrastructure, you must give your user the good paradigm you know, for, for using this uh, infrastructure. That's something really important. Um, so with respect to Golem, and uh, with respect to Golem, I think that the main difference, so of course there are similarities, huh? and I really like Golem, I really like what they are doing, and I think we are going to, I hope we are going to work together, because there are some commonalities that would be stupid to work totally, you know, separately. With respect to Golem, I think the big difference is the vision. What Golem claim is that they want to do a supercomputer based on this paradigm. This is not a story that I buy, personally. Uh, a supercomputer, the, so first the definition is very simple for a supercomputer. Every six months we establish a list, it's called the top 500, and in this list you have the list of machines that are the supercomputers. Okay, to be in this list you must run a benchmark, it's Linpack, it's a linear algebra benchmark. You run this, this benchmark on your machine, you look at the number of floating point operation per second you can achieve, and you, you're ranked, and if you rank among the top 500, you have a supercomputer. So, I mean, that's the definition. So having a supercomputer based on that, I mean, doesn't make sense, and people don't want that. Okay, so iExec has a very different vision for that. Our vision is really the distributed cloud. So it's really, we don't, I don't believe in one big application that would use 
thousands and thousands of machines. What I believe in is thousands of dApps doing off-chain computation and accessing a huge computing infrastructure totally distributed. That's very different. And the way you design the software for that is totally different. Incentives must, must be different, uh, the performance are different, etc., etc. From what I understand from what you're saying, and the, the feeling that I'm getting is that perhaps using the term supercomputer is, is somewhat misleading because that's not really what this is. Could we expect something like Gollum to really compete with this you know, top 500 list of supercomputers? I don't know. That's a problem, not mine. <laughs> no, but I, 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 so I think that maybe the difference between so if, I, I mean I don't know very much about Gollum. I, I'm hoping we can have them all at some point. But between Truebit and iExec, it it appears to me that the difference is that Truebit is trying to bring complex computations to smart contracts, while uh, iExec is trying to bring the blockchain to distributed computing. No, I think that we are in some way we are closer to Truebit than to Golem. Because our goal now, I mean, in the first iteration of iExec, our goal is really uh, to be able to do off-chain computation from the smart contract. And for instance, at EDCon, this is what we demoed. And we demoed this, uh, okay, that was a toy example, the vanity. Um, so we demoed a Bitcoin vanity uh, address generation. So typically, this is a smart contract. The smart contract descri describes the task. Uh, that is going to be executed off-chain. The first goal of iExec is to allow those dApps, so what we call dApps, the, you know, the distributed application running on the blockchain, in the form of a smart contract, to perform a part of the computation off-chain. Okay? So this is really our primary goal now. This is really what we want to do and, uh, at first. Okay? Uh, and the way we do this is to execute that off-chain using those this, I mean, using this uh, distributed computing technology. Okay, so it's like you're building, uh, you're bringing the tools of distributed computing over which you have worked ten years, or or even more, mm -hmm. to to solve the problem of smart contracts um, not having enough gas to do many things. So exactly. a smart contract, there's a there's a gas limit; it cannot do more than these steps. So you're bringing, you're creating a method by which the smart contract can delegate the part of the computation to your distributed infrastructure, get back the results, and then continue processing. Exactly. Right? This is exactly this. This is exactly this. And I think that's, that's super important. So we are going to do this first for computation, then for data, and then for machines. Okay. So uh, at first, it will be ba basically your smart contract. We give the smart contract the ability to do ocean computation on a restricted set of machines. So this is for the first six months of the project. So here it's not anyone who can provide its machine, his machine. We are basically managing those machines, or you know, it's partners who are basically the, 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 who are providing these machines. And later on, during the year, we'll extend the, the network, the market network, first to other uh, server providers, data center providers, and then later to uh, data providers. And at the end, you're going to describe your computation you know, mixing provide you know some providers for data, or the, another for uh, an application, another for a, a server, and uh, and then I exact do all the magic, which is you know deploying the data, deploying the application, doing the computation, the verification, doing the payment, etc., etc. So that's going to change. I think, in my opinion, it's going to change a lot. Uh, you know, with respect to the kind of application you will be able to execute on uh, on uh, Ethereum. So it's a great potential for that. So today we have this whole generation of dApps coming, right? And uh, whenever you see a, a builder of the dApp, um, and whenever I myself think of a smart contract, I'm always kind of limited by the gas and things that I can do. And I will build my dApp a particular way, right? And today all of these ICOs are happening and they're built, they're all, they're all architectures are kind of built around this constraint. Now tomorrow something fundamental like iExec or Truebit, I think Truebit's problem statement is also similar, it comes along and suddenly a new generation of architectures opens up and maybe that new generation of architectures will also bring about new projects that do exactly the same as current projects are trying to do but they just do it better because they're using better infrastructure and they end up killing these projects exactly 
Exactly. It's going to change a lot of things. And you know, for instance, at, at EDCon, there was something really uh, funny at EDCon. If you remember, there was a project, I think it's called, it was called Ether Risk. It was an in, kind of an insurance, okay? Insurance. So you can describe something that is not, I mean, you know, that could fail and you can insure this and if it fails you get you know reimbursed like an insurance so that was quite interesting because you know all these kind of projects they are all described as smart contract on the blockchain and you can interoperate with them so you know up to now uh, I've been doing fault tolerance so if a machine fail okay I try to find another one and start again the computation of the, this new machine but you know with Ethereum this kind of funny you, you, you could let the user decide that maybe he doesn't care about that. He wants just to ensure his, uh, you know, his computation. So, so, so that's funny. You know, instead of trying to find a new machine, the guy can simply, you know, take an insurance, estimate the risk, and maybe be reimbursed by another third-party, you know, financial service if the computation and all these kind of business, you know, in, uh, I mean, uh, you know, cooperation between businesses. I, I think it's going to be much, much easier to put in place with uh, solutions like blockchain and Ethereum than it was before. You know, before we had web services, but web services and payment, it doesn't cope very well together. So we had a, a huge standards about uh, web services. It's huge. You know, I mean, people have been working on that for years and years and years. And I, I don't even think that there's a single solution that allows you to do payment between different uh, between various web services when you are using a, 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 a series of them. So, and uh, in the future, I think it's going to be really much easier to do that with the blockchain. So what the blockchain is missing at the moment, it's really an infrastructure for any kind of application. That's really what's missing now. Sometimes you, uh, so in many places, you hear the quotation, which is similar to like, that the blockchain is not the killer technology but the blockchain is the technology that will enable the killer technology, right? Like the, um, so what we have today is, 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 is something, but it's, it's not the actual deal, but like using the blockchain will build these other things on the side and all of that combined is going to be uh, a kind of, that is going to power the real tech revolution, right? And, uh, and, from that perspective, like being able to outsource computation, outsource data storage, all of these features seem to be quite, uh, quite important. Yes, I think so. So with that background, perhaps we could move into the uh, question of like how you're building IXEC and what are the main components you're using? So like give us an, give us an overview of, uh, of the components. Okay, so the way it works at the moment and the way it's going to, to evolve uh, so at the moment, what we did so far, it's really building a, a POC, a proof of concept. So proof of concept, it means that we are confident that we can have something up and ready in a couple of months. So now it's working as a POC. But what is interesting, it's really, an, I mean, we, we can do it really end-to-end. -end. So at the moment, what we did is that we, can, we, we bridged, so we built an, an oracle that observes some smart contracts on the blockchain. So we are using the smart contract as a way to provision resources and do the payment. Okay, so, so you have smart contract that describes tasks uh, and resource provider. And when you, when you are doing some trans transaction trans uh, on those smart contracts, uh, then we can observe this using a bridge or an oracle, uh, provision the computing resources, deploy the app, the application, the, um, the data, do the computation and bring the result back to the smart contract. Okay, so this is how it works now. Uh, in the future, so what is interesting is that, and I, this is something people may may not have understood, is that at the moment, of course, we are the only one, you know, deploying this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, I mean, this oracle and those uh, computing resources. But of course, that's totally open, and in the future, we are going to have many many more, uh, uh, um, I mean, businesses, certainly, uh, or communities uh, running this kind of infrastructure. So you can think it as a sort, you know, as the way it's organized now in uh, miners, you know, in pool of miners. So you, you can run your, uh, your miner on your own, being a full node and being also a miner. But most of the time, people organize this in, you know, mining, mining pools. So I guess that for us, the future is going to be a little bit like this. 
you know, many different, uh, so we call them worker. A uh, worker is good because compared with a miner, you know, miner do only mining, a worker can do uh, very different tasks, so it's very likely that we have this, uh, this name. So we call them worker pools. Um, and so at the moment, they are kind of uh, isolated, if you want. So they are all connected to the blockchain. They can all observe what's going on with the blockchain. And you can all reserve, I mean, you can reserve all their resources through the blockchain. But in the future, they are going to be, you know, much more connected. And this is going to be a sort of, so this, and this is going to be a kind of uh, sidechain somehow. What is important to understand is that uh, on the Ethereum blockchain at the moment, and I think it's going to be like this for a couple of time at least, for many years I think, uh, you are quite limited on the logic you can run on the Ethereum blockchain. And there are parts of the algorithm that you need to do when you do a distributed computing uh, that is not likely to be, uh, that you, I mean, that, that is going to be very difficult to execute on the Ethereum blockchain. So anyhow, you must have some, you know, some component running side by side with Ethereum. This is important. So for example, just to give you an example, uh, three years ago, I think, with uh, Mircea Moka, so one, one of my colleagues, we um, proposed an algorithm for doing scheduling. So scheduling, this is the algorithm which decides which task is going to be executed on which nodes. Okay, and for uh, with Mircea, we designed an algorithm which is a multi-criteria algorithm. This is really important, this kind of algorithm, because it allows the user to say, for instance, you know, um, requirements such as, I'm ready to pay a lot, but I want my computation to go as fast as possible. Or, uh, or, or, or conversely, uh, I want to pay a very cheap price, even if it takes longer. But you can put several criteria, so it can be energy, it can be trust, it can be location, etc., etc. So this kind of algorithm, the way it works, it's, it's memory intensive and compute intensive. So the one we proposed was based on Promete method. It's by basically you do you know, a big matrix, you evaluate the different criteria, and then you do pairwise comparison. So, I mean, you can't run that in a Solidity smart contract. You know, this is, I mean, never. And, uh, and so you must have some, you know, uh, uh, a different, a different, I mean, different components running side by side with Ethereum that are connected with Ethereum and to do the, a, a part of the, of the, the resource management, etc. Another thing that is important is that the notion of consensus as it exists in the blockchain is not always very relevant to the off-chain computation. Okay, at the moment it's clear, I mean, uh, it comes from uh, Bitcoin and Bitcoin it, it's about transferring money. So the consensus must be really, really strong. You don't want you don't want a transaction of money to be okay, likely to be proceed, maybe it failed or maybe not. Okay, and Ethereum uh, somehow uh, inherits from this. Um, from this. Uh, when you do off-chain computation, the, the consensus, the no, this notion of consensus, it has to be more um, flexible because you have computation where you can totally afford to have a fraction of the results wrong. It can be totally okay. And it really depends on the application. You have different way of, uh, you know, certifying the results, uh, verifying the results. Uh, it can be, you know, you can you can have a situation where, for instance, verifying a computation costs the same than running the computation at once, or it can be very easy to. Um, it can be much more. Um, how to say? Uh, it can be only a fraction of the original computation to verify the result. Think, for instance, of rendering uh, uh, an image, you know, doing a, a 3D rendering, for instance. You can verify the result just by spotting some pixel in the image. And of course, it costs less now. If you do uh, some cryptography, sometimes you just have to verify the, 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 the keys or things like this. So it must be a framework. It must be a framework. And so you, you must have the consensus on this side chain. So this is, you know, this is, a reason, this is work for the future. Right? We, it's not yet ready, but uh, this is where we're going to go in the, in the next years. So you must have a system where you still have the trustability that exists on the blockchain. You must be able to understand who did what, and, you know, and if a provider claims that he did 99.99% of uh, availability, you must find this in the, in the sidechain. You must be able to find all the tasks that have been uh, that have been uh, processed, but still the consensus 
you know, you don't need proof of work if there are some, um, sometimes there are some errors that can be totally okay. So it must be tunable. And the performance also are going to be very different. At the moment, the performance that you have with Ethereum, it doesn't allow for uh, distributed computing, not at all. You can have, you know, millions of tasks executed, millions of uh, files downloaded. And, uh, and if you want to do that, you know, if you have one transaction per, per uh, action on Ethereum, it's just impossible. So in the future, I think that they are going to be, you know, a part of the logic that is on Ethereum. I would say the important things, you know, resource provisioning, payment, description of the, the, the task, description of the resources, all these kind of things. And a part of the consensus that is really done off-chain, I mean, the consensus itself is going to be done with a dedicated protocol off-chain that can, can accommodate with uh, those uh, performance requirements, low latency, uh, high throughput, uh, etc., etc. Even if you have some mechanisms where, for instance, you can go backwards, you know, on a, on a blockchain like, like Ethereum, I mean, that would be bizarre to have a situation where you say, okay, I give you some money, but I wait a little, maybe the money has not been sent, we have to wait for, you know, two days, and if nobody says that, you know, nobody reclaimed the money, you're going to have the money. But for executive computation, that's totally okay. You can say, okay, let's assume that all those tasks went right. And we assume that for, let's say, 24 hours. And if it's not the case, we are going to figure out what, uh, what went wrong. But at least you have a result immediately. So all these kind of, you know, algorithms, I think it has to be, to be uh, decided uh, in the future. So what you're saying is, because I want to I talk about this verification part for a little bit, because th this is something that we, we talked about with uh, Tribit last week. And the, they have a sort of a very unique approach to using game theory and the proof of verifier model to to do verifications of the computation on, I think, within the Solidity smart contract. What you're saying is that in distributed computing, and correct me if I'm wrong, if my understanding of this is, is, is wrong, but well, I think what you're saying is that the the consensus on the results already exists. There's already protocols to, to come to consensus on results, and there are different consensus models based on you know what type of consensus requirements we may, we might have. So you mentioned one example where you know, a person you know, there is a threshold uh, of uh, a false faulty results that can be tolerated, and these consensus mechanisms already exist, and they would be operated off chain. It, it's not up to it's not up to the miners to figure that out. It's not up to the Solidity smart contract to to, to determine whether or not computations were properly executed or the results are can be trusted that's that's happening in the distributed computing network and then i presume that the the network can then send proofs to the smart contract so that transactions can then mm -hmm. be be executed on the ethereum chain is that right i think so yeah i mean well it's really a case by case basis huh? it's uh, my assumption is that we are going to have a kind of uh, a way to have the consensus that fits most of the cases. But for instance, the way we're doing that at the moment is by comparing the results. So first, uh, first assumption, I don't, know, I don't know the details about TrueBit. Huh? I looked at it very quickly. Uh, unfortunately, at the moment, I don't have so much time to. It's very, very interesting. I love that. Yeah, and I mean, we're only using it as a comparison because it's so <laughs> fresh. Like we just, we just released the episode a few, a few days ago, and it's, it's so similar. I mean, so, so yeah. yes. So there's one thing that is really important. Up to now, you know, with, so with desktop grid computing, you're using machines that you don't trust. So we have mechanisms to, uh, to, um, to, to, to do some, what we call result certification. So result certification is making sure that the result is correct. Okay. It doesn't guarantee anything at 100%. So the first thing that is really new with this blockchain uh, thing, and that's really something that uh, 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 2Bit does very well, it's the fact that now you can punish people if they do wrong. In desktop grid computing, you can't do that. If someone decides to, to send you a fake result, okay, you, what, what you can do is just discover that the result was fake, and then maybe you can blacklist him, but that's it. Yeah, and I think that's the difference with Trubit. Is with Trubit, you're relying on one person or one cloud computer to do that computation, and then someone verifies that we're here. It's a totally different use case. We're talking about specific types of computations that are 
distributed and where those fault tolerances already exist. And we're not we're not trying to say this is an AWS server that you're going to be able to use to do one specific type of computation on one CPU. iExec is for a totally different use case. So the verification logic then obviously also needs to be different. Exactly. So, but here the the good thing is that we can punish people. So we can have some court. I think they call that court. So uh, a system where typically you know people agree that they're going to work together. Things happen, and 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 if someone claimed that you know it happened the wrong way, then you can have another system. I mean, you can have an, another step in the verification, where you you trigger some sort of verification mechanism, and here you can, for instance, uh, you know, duplicate the the the, the task, uh, you know, uh, with a huge number of time. You can have an anti anti collision mechanism, this kind of thing. And once you decided who, who cheated, you can really hurt him. So this is really something new. It opened a, a lot of uh, new perspective. So in my opinion, it's not it's not more difficult than it was before. On the contrary, I think it's easier uh, because before that you, you you cannot punish people. Now now that you can punish people, and more than that, it's it's more than you can punish people. It's I mean it's more than that. You can you can reward people for having behaved correctly. And that's something really new. So with iExec, for instance, our, our token supply is fixed. But another another way of doing that would have been to issue token whenever people behave correctly. That could have been a very good uh, a very good way of incentivizing people. In, in my opinion, we have much more um, way of designing new algorithms for this. And uh, and it's true that from a research perspective, that's very interesting because it didn't exist before. This idea of you know uh, bringing game theory and scheduling, for instance, these are those algorithms have not been invented yet. So that's uh, that's a very good um, uh, topic for a PhD uh, student. If someone wants to to start a new PhD with me, <laughs> it can be a topic. Let's take a break to talk about the Ledger Nano S, the new flagship hardware wallet by Ledger. I'll pass it over to Ledger CTO, Nicolas Baca, who can tell you all about Ledger's security features and SDK. So Ledger Nano S is a personal security device based on a secure element screen and button so that you can verify everything that is done on the device and make sure that you are really doing what you want it to do. Compared to our previous solution, this device is based on the latest generation secure element, the ST31 from STMicro. The SC31 is, is using a secure ARM core, which means that you can have the same ease of development that you would have on a generic uh, microcontroller, but benefit from the security features of a secure element. Security features uh, include an application firewall at the lowest level that lets you protect applications from each other, which means that you can load multiple applications on the hardware wallet, even post-issuance. And you as a developer will be able to leverage these features to load your own application without our authorization and without any kind of authorization from the vendor. We will be providing this device with an open SDK um, that lets you do anything you want with this device. We provide sample applications for cryptocurrencies, different cryptocurrencies, so Bitcoin, Ethereum. Uh, and we will also provide a FIDO authenticator and you will be free to add everything you like. For example, you could add some secure messaging, some encrypted chat, and you'll see that the solution is quite powerful and very easy to develop with. The Nano S sets the new standard in hardware wallet security and usability. You can get yours today at ledgerwallet.com. And when you do, be sure to use the offer code Epicenter to get 10% off your first order. We'd like to thank Ledger for their support of Epicenter. The key thing I understand from your explanations is so with Truebit, right? Like, and and I'm taking that sort of as a reference because that is very fresh in our minds. Truebit takes the approach that there's like one particular verification method methodology that's going to work in in all all the cases, and that is the smart contract delegates something to a to a solver. The solver gives the result somebody can challenge the result and then this the smart contract sort of becomes the judge and decides whether to award award, award the challenger or the solver the money mm -hmm. right so and by making this into this uh, the smart contract into a judge saying the solver did it correctly or he didn't do it correctly 
you incentivize good behavior from the solver and that is how it works so that's like one verification model mm -hmm. and what you're saying is ixec is taking the approach that there isn't going to be one winning verification model each different type of application where uh, there might be multiple different verification models such as some might uh, some tasks might it might be easy to verify computations in some tasks very easily by just observing the result there might be some other tasks in which you need a verification game like that and there might be some other tasks in which certain faults can also be tolerated so there is isn't going to be one winning verification model there's going to be multiple of them and you are building your system in a modular way that allows all of these mechanisms to be implemented just think uh, i don't know if you know gridcoin but gridcoin works a little bit this way somehow the consensus is done using bank and, and according to what happened on Boeing, then you issue the, 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 the token, the Gridcoin uh, token. So uh, to me, it's going to be, uh, you know, half-half. So they're going to be, for instance, the court making, I mean, pushing the court on Ethereum. I think it makes sense. That's a, that's a very good way. I mean, there's no problem with that. Writing smart contract that implements the court, that punish people if, it, if things went wrong, that, you know, that are able to relaunch computation to, 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 to know who, who did wrong. It's totally okay to do this on a smart contract. There's no problem with this, uh, definitely. So why, why do you need a side chain? We need a side chain because you don't want all the consensus operation to happen uh, on Ethereum because it's going to be, because for reason of performance, because not all the consensus, because sometimes the consensus, you know, so for instance, imagine a situation like that. You know, I, let's say I submit 1,000 tasks, you know, so you could have on Ethereum the fact that you sent 1,000 tasks, the fact that everybody agreed that the 1,000 tasks were done correctly, okay? And then you can have on the sidechain each one of these individual tasks, you know, who computed them, when they were uh, uh, finished, if they have been launched again on a new machine, if the result was wrong and launched again in this new machine, etc., etc., etc. Because you can do that on a sidechain, where the consensus is not so strong. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, executing a task, executing a task again, it's, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not as important as sending money, honestly. Uh, uh, you can really address the performance issue because at the moment with uh, Ethereum, it's one transaction per one transaction. So here you can dedicate a system that goes, you know, really fast, so no proof of work, of course. On, the, on this side chain, you're not going to, to manage money. So, I mean, the, the tokens or, you know, the, the, the thing that you're going to use in the structure, in the, in the, in the distributed stru structure, is not going to have any value. So, uh, certainly not going to secure it in the way you're securing a proof of work, you know, a blockchain that, 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 that uses proof of work. So, maybe you can use Paxos, you, I, I don't know, this kind of Byzantine distributed for tolerance. I don't know which one, but honestly, it's, for me, it's, uh, there's a large variety of uh, protocol that you can use to do that. So we can think of this as like a three-tiered three system. One is like the smart contract. Mm -hmm. uh, the smart contract has uh, the highest level function, which is task, task definition and payment. Task definition, solution, payment. Yeah, and maybe then, then on top of it, there is a side chain, mm -hmm. which has like faster consensus, uh, still, still, some trustlessness but not like that of a smart contract but it does it does uh, lower value things like scheduling like deciding what to do first what to do next uh, deciding matchmaking which machine should do what exactly. particular thing yeah. right uh, verification of whether something was done right etc and then this sidechain performs this role but actual computations are on layer three on on top, which is the actual machines that are computing. Yeah, exactly. That's the, yeah, <laughs> that's what, this is it. <laughs> yeah. And then the, then basically the machines with the computation at la la layer three, it ripples down into the side chain, side chain verifies the result. And then from this side chain, that result ripples down into the smart contract. And then, uh, so smart contract gets the result and maybe smart contract will trigger a transaction to another smart contract or something. And then another, Another loops trigger. Yes, at the end, I think it's it's going to be like this, most certainly. At the moment, we don't have this side chain, 
So at the moment, we're working you know, with everything either on smart contract or on a, or on a set of distributed servers. Uh, but at least, you know, it allows us to, to, to start and to, to be useful now. But yeah. I think you mentioned earlier, I don't know if we were talking about it before the show, or, but that the, there'll be a token. Uh, and uh, uh, could, you, could you explain what the, what the token will serve for? And uh, maybe, maybe before we wrap up, we can talk about, uh, you know, how you plan on, on releasing this token. Yeah, so the, the token is the, so this token is the one that is going to allow you to allow your smart contract to do off chain computation. And so this, this token will circulate between uh, uh, dApps, between dApps, application provider, server provider, and data provider. So that's really important because it's really the token that is going to fuel this network. So, um, uh, so yeah, so we're going to release this token. So we're going to release this token on April 12, uh, using a crowd sale, so you can participate to this crowd sale uh, using uh, Ethereum or Bitcoin. It's managed by a, a smart contract, of course. And um, yeah, so there are 60 million tokens on sale at the basic price of uh, 5,000 tokens per Bitcoin. <laughs> so how, how are you going to do this crowd sale? Are you so tell tell us then about the. The business model uh, of iExec is, is iExec a company, a, a foundation, a, a research body, and uh, who's going to be managing the crowd sale? I'm asking the question because you know crowd sales. There's, there's a lot of crowd sales uh, going on recently, and uh, um, some of them have have turned out to be fraudulent, or you know, for lack of a better word, a, a scam. And you know, you can kind of tell when a when a project is. Uh, is is not really serious, or uh, when the founders are making dubious claims, and you can sort of you know siphon out what what projects are good or not and <laughs> based on the structure. And, uh, we were talking about this earlier with regards to specific projects that are being funded right now, but um, yeah, reputation is very important, and and you know, you, you obviously have a, a reputation within your field, and you have a reputation to preserve as well, right? You you. you you want to keep that reputation, so um, yeah, uh, convince us that, or convince <laughs> our listeners, uh, and you know we should this shouldn't be taken as any type of investment advice, but yeah, convince our listeners as to how you're building this crowd sale and how um, they can trust that uh, you will deliver on what you're what you're laying out here as something you want to build. Yeah, so um, iExec is a company at the moment. It's, we are incorporated in France. So uh, we are supported by our research institute somehow. I mean, we are sp official spin-off of, uh, in RIA. Uh, we are also at the Chinese Academy of Science. I mean, we are at the moment incubated in Beijing by the Tsinghua University Incubator. Uh, so it's totally something totally official. It's true that in France, there have not been so many a uh, project like this starting. Uh, so I guess we are uh, among the first one, um, <clears throat> at least with, uh, with this visibility. Of course, I can't uh, hide myself. Uh, Google knows everything about me. <laughs> so this quote is really important for us. Uh, in terms of funding, of course, because it's a significant amount of money, but it's really important because, I mean, we can't start a project like this without building the market first. You know, we have to build this market. We have to first issue the token before we can do anything with the technology. If we don't do this token, I mean, I, I work at INRIA, I often meet VC, there is uh, innovation, it's something that is, that is totally, I mean, it, uh, it very often happens. In, um, in my team, it's the first startup in less than uh, five years, something like this. So it's something really common. Uh, there was one built around, uh, there is one that, that was created yesterday, I think, or two, two, two days ago about security. So there's nothing, you know, we could have the money by VCs, I would say. Maybe not okay, this so how, how are you gonna? How are you going to use the money? And is the token sale being, so will the funds go to iExec or are they being held by a foundation that is, uh, are, you, are, you going, are you doing that model, the foundation model where the foundation is, is doing the crowd sale and contracting the company? Do, how you No, how we you want to be this? a company. That's very important for us. We want to be a company because we we really do things. So we have this infrastructure view of things. 
And because it's in, it's infrastructure, it's not you know it's not a protocol like uh, Ethereum, for instance. We really want to deal with machines, so owner of the machines, uh, the, the editors of applications, etc. So we really want to have, you know, this enterprise to enterprise relationship. And if we do a foundation, I, I have the feeling that you know we would not go the, the good way for doing for establishing such a, such kind of relationship. It's a market network, so that's really important to do that. And so that's, I mean, this token sale is really important because if we don't do this token sale, I mean, for me, that's just impossible to imagine that we could build a, a real market network. You know, the, the way of, I mean, this token sale, it's very important step. And first, because it gives us a lot of visibility that would be much, much more difficult to have such visibility without issuing a token. It forces us to go straight in this business, you know, I come from the academy, so I'm not a businessman. And uh, you know, if I don't jump right in the in the business, you know, it could last for 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 months before I redo other something. Here, I have no choice. <laughs> so we are doing we are establishing this business at the moment of the code say That's really important. And and so the money, say so usage of the money. So usage of the of the the money is basically for salaries. Huh? Let's be clear about that. Uh, in the token, in the token distribution, we are keeping a part for bounties. So this is one uh, aspect I would like to to mention. Uh, you know, for systems like Ethereum, for instance, there was the proof of work. So proof of work it means that you had the ability to enter the network. I mean, to to know about Ethereum, to learn the technology of Ethereum by mining. This is actually what happened to me. You know, I, I had a couple of GPUs and I started to learn about Ethereum just by making them work, getting some tokens, write some smart contracts, etc. etc. Unfortunately for us, our token supply is fixed. So we are issuing at most 80, um, 87 million tokens. This is in the case where the crowd sale is, um, you know, is full. And, and so there will be no further uh, token issuance. And, and so that's a difficulty somehow because we have to grow the network. So what we did is that we kept a number of tokens for bounties and those tokens will be later you know, distributed to, to developers, to uh, resource providers, etc., etc., to help people growing this network. And so this is a this is a bet what that, that we do, and we hope that it's going to be successful. And what will the business model of iExec be once uh, once you've built this technology? So yeah, that's really important to 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 mention this. Of course, it's a distributed uh, market network. So I mean, tokens are there's no fee. It means that token goes from consumer to providers, and we don't take any money for for that. So the, that's a real question. How are who are we going to, to, to make money out of it? So my, uh, my claim is that, okay, for the blockchain part, it's really you know, innovative, and it's a breakthrough technology, etc. The ICO, it's something that I knew. Uh, but for everything else, you know, it's, okay, it's a different way of doing cloud computing, but the business for a company is not dif that different than Docker, for instance. You know, Docker, they have the good tool, they have the good way of shipping applications to their infrastructure. Uh, we will be, we're going to be like, you know, like Docker. So we're going to have the tools, we're going to have the software, we're going to have the documentation, the support to ship those applications to this new kind of infrastructure, even though we are not managing the infrastructure. But Docker also does not manage the infrastructure, I guess. You know, they are working. So, okay, we're going to have certainly some sort of freemium feature, and maybe based on quality of service or trust or, uh, you know, or like GitHub, you know, in GitHub you have things that are public, but if you want to have some private account, then you have to pay for that. You know, this kind of a freemium feature. So this part is going to be very classic, the way you're going to, to make money. But I mean, I guess if, if I do the, 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 the correct assumption, there are going to be a lot of dApps, a lot of dApps using our technology, using iExec, using machines provided by everyone. And for all of them, they are go, you know, they, 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 they will need some very good enterprise feature, enterprise support, and this kind of thing. So here, honestly, it's not going to be so exotic. It's going to, to be very classic. <laughs> All right, well, we're at the end of the show. Uh, 
thank you so much, uh, Ajit, for coming on. I mean, this has been <laughs> we've been wanting to have you on for a while, and so Ajit and I were uh, we're both in France, so we kind of crossed cross paths once in a while uh, in Paris, and uh, and uh, and finally we we're able to get you on. So I'm I'm really happy that uh, we we're able to connect and. And finally, get get around the the, the podcast. Um, so the crowd sale is, I guess, starting the day after this release is released. So where can uh, people go to learn more about that, and how can you know how, how do people get involved in iExec and and or how can people find you? Yeah. Yeah. So go to our website. It's iex.ec. Uh, the website for the crowd sale is crowd sale dot iex.ec uh, join us on slack I'm, uh, you know i'm uh, i'm available yeah you can uh, you can go on the slack uh, ask me questions usually i answer okay the next couple of days are going to be pretty intense so i might not be as responsive as uh, usually uh, i often also go to um, a conference i like that a lot uh, meet me at the conference don't hesitate come at me ask me questions I'll be in uh, Amsterdam for a Bitcoin Wednesday talk. I'll be later at the blockchain conference in Berlin in June. So don't really, don't hesitate to join to reach us by email. And um, yeah, so we're accepting Ether and Bitcoin, and uh, hopefully we'll um, we'll succeed uh, in our crowd sale. Thank you very much for the invitation. It was yeah, a really a great pleasure to to give me this. Uh, thanks for giving me this opportunity to introduce UI Exec. I hope that. Uh, it was clear enough and you understood uh, what iExec was about. You're, you're welcome. And of course, uh, anybody who's uh, interested in participating in, in a crowd sale should uh, do their, their own due diligence. We're not in encouraging anything, although, <laughs> although we think it's a very interesting project. You should always do due diligence <laughs> when uh, investing any money in a crowd sale. Uh, so yeah, we, we, we are not invest investment advisors. That's right. right. <laughs> Supporting. Uh... <laughs> And, and, and usually we ourselves study the project for only two or three hours and interview our guests. So, you know, we are not the experts here. So, you know. <laughs> so once again, thank you, Gilles, for joining us. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We are part of the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network. You can find this show and lots of other great shows at letstalkbitcoin.com. Of course, if you're interested in supporting the show, well, there's lots of different ways you can do that. You can follow us on uh, on on youtube on twitter on facebook just about everywhere we are you can also um, leave a review uh, on itunes you can subscribe to the show uh, or you can leave us a tip the tipping address in bitcoin and ether will be in the show description and so we look forward to being back next week